This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and negative cultural values, including classism and ableism. The views of the characters do not reflect the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 357. Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction. I'll also tell you about my journey as a writing professional. More on that later in the show. But for now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 8 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Natasha awoke tied to a chair in a dingy office, still somewhere in the low-rent Clearwater District. She received some water from a wary and suspicious noble Alex, who was looking at Natasha like they weren't sure who she was anymore. Alex just found out about Major Rutgers, Natasha's superior officer in Havane, whom she beat to within an inch of his life with a crowbar, leaving him permanently disfigured and bound to a wheelchair. Alex demanded an explanation. Unfortunately, Natasha wasn't in the position to give one, because she had sworn an oath not to tell anyone what Rutgers had done to the village girls of Havane. That was the price of her receiving an honorable discharge, instead of being court-martialed and imprisoned for attempted murder. All she could do was describe to Alex, in a general way, how the prolonged stalemate in Havane had eroded the norms and rules of engagement on both sides— twisting people's perceptions of right and wrong until they were willing to excuse the inexcusable. This was the curse of a vein. It made everyone a monster, and everyone a victim. Alex left, still wrestling with the implications of what Natasha had told her, that Rutgers had been doing something terrible in the war, and that Natasha had stopped him. It's not at all clear whether Alex is convinced that anything Rutgers had done justified what Natasha did to him in return. Sometime after they had gone, one of Rutgers' assistants appeared and took Natasha to a tiny one-room flat in an adjacent tenement building. Inside the room, Natasha was confronted with not just Major Rutgers, but with Honor's cousin, Lord Graham. Several weeks ago, Natasha humiliated Graham, making him beg her not to hurt him after he insulted her fallen comrades in the Battle of Havane. Now, it was clear, Graham was enacting his revenge. He had conspired with Rutgers to turn noble Alex against Natasha. 
With her protectors gone and Lord Bellevue out of the city, Graham used his position as House Bellevue's acting leader to fire Natasha. A carriage is waiting to escort her to the nearest train station, where she will be sent back to her homeland of Yesherod. Graham was in full gloating mode, though, and he couldn't resist telling Natasha what awaited her lover, Honor. Lord and Lady Drowling are going to do something to alter her mind, to turn her into the meek and compliant young lady she was supposed to be. When Natasha is shivering alone in her hut in the mountains, Graham wants her to picture Honor as they made her to be, barefoot and pregnant, loyally servicing her lord husband. As he taunted her with this image, Graham drew too close to Natasha, and she headbutted him, breaking his nose and sending him reeling backwards. He got caught up on Rutger's wheelchair and they both toppled over, and the Major's attendants rushed to help him. With no one left to guard her, Natasha ran for her life, and, more importantly, for honors. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 by L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 8 A Knife and a Choice Natasha raced as quickly as she dared through the narrow, crooked hallways of the tenement building, with her hands bound behind her back, she was literally running headlong, and she ran into the walls more than once in order to stop herself from falling. She thanked the gods that Rutgers and Graham hadn't had more men with them, or they surely would have caught her in short order. She supposed that whatever guards Graham had brought with him were waiting in the carriage, to make sure it would not be stolen. Which meant, of course, that they might well catch her as soon as she stumbled outside. She slumped against a wall, panting, and listened closely for sounds of pursuit. She could still faintly hear a man shouting. Graham, she thought, but the voice was too muffled by distance and adjoining rooms for her to be certain. She looked around in the dim, unsteady light, trying to get her bearings, but she had no idea where the nearest exit might be. She was surprised by the sound of a sharp hiss coming from down the hall. Oi, a woman whispered. Natasha, over here. Natasha followed the sound to a door a few yards away. It was open just a few inches, and a feminine arm extended through the gap. The fingernails on the hand were painted red, and while most of them were long and pointed, the nails on the first two digits were cut short and filed smooth. The hand beckoned to her. Get in here, quick, afore someone sees you. That sounded good to Natasha. She went to the door, and it swung open just long enough to let her in, then shut and latched behind her. The woman inside was a curly-haired brunette of medium height, pale and freckled, somewhere between thirty and fifty, with wide hips and an ample bosom. She had a round face, full lips, a slightly upturned nose, and hazel eyes that were bright with worry. "'Heavens, look at the state of ya,' she said pressing her hand gently to the side of Natasha's face. The cut on her cheek stung at the contact, and she saw the woman's fingers come away touched with blood. Got caught in a bad bit of business, I gather. Natasha recognized her now. She was one of the whores Natasha had hired before. 
She racked her brains, trying to remember the woman's name. Franny? Fernie? Fanny? No, that is bad word in Metamore. I will be all right, she said. She turned sideways and wiggled her bound hands. Um, do you have knife? Fernie or Franny rolled her eyes, looking darkly amused. Do I have a knife, she says. Hold on. She went over to her bed, reached into the gap below the headboard, and drew out an army-style field knife, old but obviously well cared for. Natasha noted that it would have been within easy reach for her if she were lying on her back, but Natasha would never have seen it if she hadn't known where to look. Given the sort of customers that unlicensed prostitutes had to deal with, she thought that was probably a wise precaution. The woman came back with the knife and examined Natasha's bonds. As I recall, you used to like this the other way round, she said. Despite herself, Natasha snorted a laugh. Duh, I remember you liked playing with blindfold. With you I did, said Fernie. Yes, Natasha was pretty sure that was her name now. She slipped the knife between Natasha's wrists and started sawing at the rope. You ought to be more careful who you're playing games with, lovey. This was not game, Natasha said. I made enemy, and he found me, because of other men, who I also made enemy. Fernie clucked her tongue. Sounds to me like you should stop making enemies. This I keep telling myself, Natasha sighed. It took a precious minute or two for Fernie to cut through the bonds. By the time Natasha's hands were free, she could hear boots tromping down the hallways. Men's voices called to one another, distant and muffled. Natasha pressed one finger to her lips, and Fernie nodded. Natasha crept over to the door and pressed her ear to the gap between it and the floor. At length, two sets of footsteps converged somewhere off to her left and began growing closer. As they did so, the voices became more distinct, though they were now speaking in a lower conversational tone. Seen anything? One voice asked. Don't waste your time, another growled. These gutter rats are all thieves and liars. Flash a coin or two and they'd spin you whatever story they thought you wanted to hear. Truth's easier to tell than a lie, the first one said. Yes, and good luck guessing which one's being honest, the second said. Lord Graham's gone about this all wrong. We should have stayed outside and covered the exits. She's got to come out sometime. Natasha held very still, not even daring to breathe, as the men's footsteps passed directly in front of the door. The doorknob briefly rattled. Evidently one of the guards had taken hold and twisted it, but the latch was secure, and the door did not budge. Might be she's holed up in one of these rooms, the first voice said. It was very close now, and Natasha suspected he had tried the doorknob purely for illustration. We could wait all night and never see her. Might be someone should start a fire in the kitchen, the second voice said sourly. Burn this whole flea trap right down. Bet it wouldn't take too long, and it'd be a bloody public service. The first voice had the decency to sound appalled at this. Gods, man! You've been working for Lord Tyrrell too long. You sound like one of the old man's war stories. 
Say what you want about him, the second guard said, with a stubborn note in his voice. The general knows how to get results. He wouldn't be wasting us on this damned pixie hunt. Their voices and footsteps faded as they came to the end of the hall and went around another corner. Natasha waited another ten slow breaths, then got to her feet and went back to Fernie. She reached into her trouser pocket, fished at her coin purse. Fernie saw what she was doing and waved dismissively. Oh no, dearie, you don't have to pay me nothing for helping you. Not for that, Natasha said, and held up four precious silver marks. I want to buy your knife. Fernie's eyes grew wide. Natasha knew that four marks would cover a week's rent on a small apartment. It might well cover a month on this place. It was also a fifth of all the money Natasha had managed to save since she quit the army. At the moment, though, all the money in the world wouldn't mean a damn if she couldn't defend herself. God's Nat, Fernie breathed. Do you rob a noble or something? Cause I don't want nothing to do with that business. Natasha smiled thinly and looked her in the eyes. It's from honest work, I promise. I am bodyguard for Lady. A stab of fresh pain ran through her heart. Or I was. Her cousin has just fired me. But now my lady is in danger, so I must help her. Fernie gave her a dubious look. But if you're fired, then she ain't your problem no more. Why you gonna risk your life for her now? Natasha took a deep breath and felt herself standing a little taller. Because I love her, she said. Fernie seemed like she might scoff at this, but whatever she saw on Natasha's face made her reconsider. After a moment, she took the coins in one hand and passed Natasha the knife with the other. Natasha held it up to the light and inspected the edge. It was good and sharp, with no visible nicks. Fernie pulled the sheath out of its hiding place behind the headboard and handed that to Natasha as well. Thank you, Natasha said, and turned to go. Fernie spoke up behind her. Go left out the door. Follow the hallway round the corner and go left at the next junction. There's a broom closet at the end of the hall with a secret door. Goes out to the old stables and back. We use it for customers who oughtn't to be seen coming and going. Natasha looked over her shoulder at the woman, nodded once. I understand. Thank you again. Good luck, Fernie said. She smiled, though it did not reach her eyes. I hope you can help your lady friend. As do I, Natasha said, and left. She moved through the tenement's hallways quickly and quietly, her knife at the ready. Occasionally she heard sounds of other people talking or moving, in the rooms she passed or on the floor above her, but she did not encounter Lord Graham's guards or Rutger's attendants. She found the hidden door without much difficulty and slipped out into the stables. She thought about taking one of the horses, but decided against it. She was in enough trouble already without adding grand larceny to the list. She headed out into the mist-shrouded city streets, moving at a steady jog. In her army days, she'd been able to maintain this pace for twenty miles or more. Granted, she wasn't usually nursing a hangover and a possible concussion on those runs, but she'd had fifty pounds of combat gear that she was currently missing, so she supposed that it all evened out. 
she paused for a moment when she reached Duke's Way, one of the major north-south avenues running through the valley. She was not sure of the way back to House Bellevue's apartment from here, and in any case that was the first place Lord Graham would look. Townsend Tower was further away, and she had even less idea of how to get there. There was one other place she could go for help, though, and she'd walked that route from the Axe and Mug several times, always in the dark and often while drunk. She turned north on Duke's way and picked up her pace. Before long, she was standing at the gates of Hassan Manor. The guards on duty knew her well, and it did not take much convincing for them to run a message up to the mansion. Irene came down to the gatehouse about ten minutes later. She had the bleary-eyed look of someone who had been roused from sleep, but she became considerably more alert when she got a good look at Natasha's face and the rope burns on her wrists. Good gods, Nat, what happened to you? I will tell you later, Natasha said. Right now, I need to speak to Duke Thomas. The Irambian's expression became even more worried. Nat, you don't need to speak to the Duke, she said slowly. You need to see a doctor. She sounded like she was trying to care for a very elderly person, or one of the soldiers whose minds had snapped in the trenches. Later, Natasha insisted. She tried to keep her voice calm, to sound reasonable and sane. Irene, there is plot against the noble families. It is happening right now. If I wait and ask for audience on Monday, it will be too late. Please, I am begging. Help me warn the Duke before it is too late. Irene looked at her for an achingly long moment, studying her injuries, her disheveled appearance. Natasha imagined that she could smell the spilt alcohol on Natasha's uniform and was trying to judge whether she had taken any other illicit substances— Something that might cause paranoid hallucinations, for instance. Irene, Natasha said, more gently. It is me. I have not gone mad. I fucked up many things as guard for House Hassan, I know. But never did I forget what was real and what was not. Let them give me any test they like. I am not mad and not lying but Duke must be told. Irene rubbed wearily at her face, taking a deep breath in and out. I can bring you to Captain Hansen, she said at last. You can tell him your story. Natasha felt a sinking sensation in her guts. Irene, please, you know he will not believe me. Irene shook her head. I know that if I get tied to another of your... mistakes, she said in an obvious moment of self-editing, then Hansen is going to fire me, too. I'm sorry, Nat. That is the best I can do. Natasha sighed, nodded. I understand. Can you do me one small favor while I am with Captain? Irene gave her a noncommittal look but she gestured for Natasha to continue. Please send telegram to Noble Alex at House Townsend. Tell them... She paused, considering how much to say in an open message. 
tell them that their imagination did not run wild, and a sinister reputation was deserved. Tell them I said that. They will know what it means. Irene looked like she might argue about this, too, but at last she sighed and threw up her hands in surrender. All right, Nat. I'll send the message. Natasha took Irene's hand in both of hers, squeezed it tightly. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Irene seemed surprised and discomfited by this display of affection. Or maybe she was just worried that Natasha had hit her head even harder than she'd thought. Natasha was dimly aware that she had shown more genuine emotion in the last five minutes than Irene had seen from her in six months. She realized, in a flash of insight, that she probably had Honor to thank for this. Living as Honor's companion had put her more in touch with her own feelings than she had been in... Gods, she didn't even know how long. With her, I could be myself, she thought, wonderingly. More of myself than I knew was there. Irene turned and opened the inner door of the gatehouse, then gestured for Natasha to follow her. As they passed into the courtyard, Natasha could see the first hints of light appearing over the barrier mountains. Somewhere in those peaks, honor was in danger— a target, apparently, of dark and forbidden magic. Magic that would try to shape her into something she was not. Hold fast, my love, Natasha thought, sending the words skyward like a prayer. As she did so, she put her hand in the pocket where she held Honor's butterfly amulet, still safely in its protective case. Be strong. Remember who you are. Remember. And that's the end of Chapter 8. Come back next time, when we'll see what's happening to Honor as the Drowling's plan takes effect. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www. .authorlcwilliams.com Stephen King said, Writing is magic, as much the water of life as any other creative art. The water is free, so drink, drink and be filled up. Now it's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of November 12th through November 18th. I wrote 2,775 words this week, over the course of 4.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 653 words per hour. I wrote on 5 out of 7 days this week. This week I finished rereading what I had written so far for All the World of Fire, my Kevin and Abby story. As I had hoped, coming back to the story after a rest and a few new life experiences helped me to see where the story needs to go. I spent three days this week working on notes for the rest of the story, figuring out a lot of the timing for the important plot points. I'm also just really excited for this story again. The writing is good, the characters are vivid, and the conflict is engaging to me. I'm feeling optimistic that this is what I needed to break me out of the funk I was in. 
Hopefully next week I'll have some new progress to report. Over on the Patreon feed, we have a new patron this month. Please welcome Andy. If you like what I'm doing on this show and want to help me keep making it, becoming a patron is the best way to support me. For just $3 a month, you can get access to the first drafts of my stories as I write them, plus character bios, sneak peeks, cover reveals, and other cool stuff. Plus, all of my patrons get exclusive access to bonus artwork from talented Metamore City artists, including the annual holiday card. This year, patrons got a new piece from Adam Waldron, which shows the summer cell gathered together on the first morning of Yule. I love this piece, and Adam did a great job of capturing the look and feel of these characters and their many, many children. If you missed getting the card earlier this year, you can still see the artwork if you're a patron now. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. Pay for a year in advance and you'll get one month for free. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much. I couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show... Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.